All right. So here we are. Thanks for coming again. This is a fun thing to me. I, uh, I, I wanted to make sure I shared a, a couple of things, and one of the things I wanted to share um, was about last time. So last time we, we started with God's purpose for wealth, what's God's purpose for man, uh, what part is wealth supposed to play in, in things, who really owns it all. Well, Christ is the heir of all things. Uh, what we do with our, our uh, monies, our possessions, our children, and so on, uh, matters because they all belong to him. Uh, what if it all gets lost? We talked a little bit about that. If the economy got really uh, disturbed, or if, uh, if uh, the uh, money lost its value in, in the economy, which has happened in, in history at times, uh, what would you do? You know, how would you start building over again? What would have value, etc.? Today, uh, we're not going to get real deep, but we're going to talk about the streams of income that God has, I think, made possible for mankind. And, uh, and then next time, we start digging deeper. Next time, we'll actually talk about businesses, how to, how to run a business, what are some of the challenges you, you run into, what are the important things. Um, most businesses don't survive beyond, what's the year, I don't know, three years or something like that. Um, so those that do, what lessons did they learn along the way? And, uh, and then we'll go on from there. We'll do uh, property, real estate. Okay, so buying, selling, buying, owning, renting, all of that will be a number four. And then number five, uh, if you've gained wealth, how do you... Uh, not only keep it, but pass it on. I mean, what, what good is it going to do you when you're uh, getting buried, right? And uh, I don't think the answer is spend it all because I'm dying anyhow, all right? So you probably could have guessed that. Anyway, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll be working diligently through this little outline again. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people here. I pray and ask that our... Um, uh, the crumbs that can be offered in, in meetings like this uh, would be uh, would feed people that we would benefit from from them that we would grow in our own knowledge in our own capacity and in, in, in usefulness in the earth uh, but mostly Lord Jesus you are the heir that these things would all matter for your kingdom and the, uh, the glorification future glorification of your people in your name we pray Amen. All right, so I probably won't stand the whole time, but uh, to begin, um, what are the proper church streams of wealth creation was my first uh, point. It says Roman numeral two because I'm just continuing on in the outline that we started last time. It says page six. That's the first page of, of today's um, um, meeting. So all streams of income, and I, and I thought about this because I'm not the smartest, uh, uh, the sharpest tack or whatever, the, the best tool in the toolbox, but I, I have to think about this. All streams of income, they're ultimately rooted in the household, in, the, in, the, in families. All streams of income are rooted in a household. It's family-originated business that has made the world go around in this in this realm forever, right? Uh, you just drive down the street in, in Wapan. I was doing this as I'm driving home thinking, well, what's the, what's the example? I'm driving past Stobbs, 
what is it, heating and plumbing and heating. I, I drive past Van de Zand, uh, real estate. These are both family names, right? People who started these businesses and they're, and they're carrying on. Um, and I drove past Ace Hardware. And as a kid, I'd, I'd look at that and go, boy, I don't even know where these things came from, right? They're just these big old things and you got these Ace stores and every city. Who created such? I didn't, I didn't tie it back. Well, some guy did. You know, a guy and his wife or a guy and his brother or a guy and his friend. And it built itself into a business, a company that, that then stretched uh, well beyond probably their imagination when they started the company. Um, I, would, I would suggest to you, and, and this is, this is what, how I come down to these things, there are four institutions or four governments that God created, right? It's, it's you as an individual. You govern yourself. You make decisions before him and so on and, and so forth. It's the family of which we've all been a part of. We, we birthed into a family. And, uh, and that household, uh, our father's household or whatever, maybe, um, it, uh, it had many members in it in some cases. In some cases, it didn't have too many members of it. But the family was instituted and established by God in the garden with Adam and Eve. A man shall leave his wife and, and, uh, and uh, wife, uh, wait, uh, a man shall leave his wife. No, that's today's uh, philosophy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Uh, uh, a woman shall uh, leave her, her, her father or her family and cleave to her husband. They start a, start a new family. And, but the family, so you got the self, individual, you got the family are, are two institutions. And you've got uh, the church is, is an institution that God has established. It, it, is, it, 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 it is actually the institution that survives everything, which is quite quite beautiful, all right? There is no giving in marriage when this is all over. It's, it's, uh, it's the church, the bride of Christ, and, and her Savior. And then there's the state um, government, all right? We call it government, civil, civil magistrate. It's the state. And, um, and God has established it. He's given the state, you know, uh, the sword to um, administer justice, they, they've gotten confused in our day, especially with their responsibilities. They have taken on so much in the line of uh, training up children, in caring for our, our grandparents and great-grandparents, and doing all these different things that the state's gotten involved in that they really have no right to be involved in. And we've really uh, screwed things up by allowing it to get to this point. And it's been going on. This didn't just happen because of Biden, okay? This has been going on back before the Roosevelts and, and, and so on and so forth. So, um, and it's historically a problem with nations. Uh, but here's my point. Uh, God did not create the state to create wealth. It doesn't create wealth. It taxes. It takes wealth, okay? God did not create the church to create wealth. It doesn't create wealth. It receives the tithe. Okay, from its wealth-creating households, which is a good thing. Both of those are legitimate things, taxes and tithes, which is kind of like the church tax, right? Um, those are both good things. They are not producers in a, in a monetary sense. 
they are um, consumers as, as institutions, all right? Now, here's an example, and uh, I don't know if it's going to be my next slide. Yeah, okay, so Abram. Abraham is an example of a household who uh, uh, he had a lot going on in his household. I'm going to read through a few of these. I don't know how easy it is to see back there. Georgine Joyce, you can't see it at all. It's, it's one of the slides in your handout, your middle handout. If, if it's legible there. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't print those very big. I put three slides per page on there. Um, <clears throat> so I'll read through that just to give you an idea of the size of Abraham's household because it, it was significant. Here again is a family, right, in the earth. It says in 12, 4, and 5, So Abraham departed as the Lord had directed him, and Lot went with him. Lot's his nephew, if you recall, all right? Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran, and Abraham took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions and people they had acquired in Haran and set out for the land of Canaan. Okay, so it's not just a guy with his stick going where God's telling him to go. Okay, it's a guy with his, his wife, with his nephew, with all the other people that are part of his household and the goods, and he is now setting out for the land of Canaan. This is a household. This is how you start to describe a household. When it's talking about an elder, right, managing his household well, that doesn't just mean his kids sit pretty in the pew next to him, right? That's part of it, your children and their behavior. But a household goes beyond that. How does he deal with his stuff that God has given him? How does he care for it? How does he grow it? How does he manage it? All right. Uh, next verse is down, 12, 15 through 16. When Pharaoh's officials saw Sarah, they commented her, or sorry, they commended her to him. They probably commented to it. Wow, did you see this girl? No, they commended her to him and she was taken into the palace of Pharaoh. He treated Abram well on her account. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. More stuff is getting added to his household, right? This this time coming from Pharaoh. I don't know where he keeps it all. He obviously takes up there's a footprint that's starting to be established by this guy's household. You don't squeeze them all into into uh, whatever sized house you know that you have built for yourself. Next verses. So Abram went out of Egypt into the Negev, he and his wife and all his possessions. And Lot was with him. And Abraham had become extremely wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Okay? So you got precious metals, you got uh, uh, animals that he's you know, now tending to, caring for, they're producing for him. And then 14.14 says, And when Abraham heard that his relative had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men born in his household, and they set out in pursuit as far as Dan. 318 fighting men from his household. This wasn't his kids. He didn't even have, I don't know that he even had a child yet, Okay. Who was born to Abraham? Was it Isaac, right? Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob. So Isaac and Ishmael. Then maybe Ishmael was born already. I can't tell you. I memory wise, I could figure it out. But three hundred and eighteen fighting men that were part of his household, born in his household. That's an, that's amazing. If they're fighting men, they're like older than fifteen, probably, right? This is sizable. He's got must have a chunk of real estate that he's taking up as he travels or as he plants his his tents or whatever. And then the last one there. Um, how do I get rid of that thing? That was a mistake. Anyway, last one. Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, this one will not be your heir, but one who comes from your own body. Okay, so that's coming up after the 318 trainment. This one uh, will not be your your heir, but one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And the Lord took him outside and said, Now look to the heavens and count the stars if you are able. Then he told him, So shall your offspring be. All of these things aside, all of his household up to date wasn't near as important to Abraham as what God's saying to him here in the terms of offspring. Okay, And they weren't all going to come from his body. This is beyond uh, what we're reading. I mean, when you read that too literally, you, you forget that the offspring that, that God's telling him about are all of us. Okay, We are all part of Abram's household, a household of faith. And all that we do should be, all of our stuff should be utilized for that household, right? Which is now considered the church. And his heir, Abram's heir, his great heir, is Jesus Christ, who's now obviously greater than Abraham, right? But this was all part of what Abraham was about. He was a man of faith. We are to be men and women like him. And uh, his household, though, is my point created and had all these possessions in this wealth that he cared for, uh, for God. So that's the example I like to think about. And uh, we're going to touch back on Abraham in just a little bit because it has to do with some of his servants, one of his servants in particular. I did a sermon on Abraham's household back in 2017. I put the date on here, 1-1 of 2017, that touched on some of these same concepts. I'd encourage you to listen to it, sermonaudio.com. Now, I did give you a handout here, and I, I won't be talking this whole time, but it's this handout here, all right? And there, I, I put down a um, handout of two families, but there are actually three families that are mentioned here that I took from the book, Enlightened Entrepreneurs. I brought that book along if you wanted to see a copy of it. I've not read the whole book. Uh, I bought it because it intrigues me. Because he, he, he's taking and going back into Victorian times and he tells about these different families or men in most cases that started a company or took over a company that their father had started and what they grew it into. I just want to read a couple of sections uh, out of each of these. The first one being Al, Al Frederick Smith Hatch. Um, he, he dealt in bro- brokerage to the stock market, right? brokering stock market. That was his company. It says down in this final paragraph underneath his picture, in March 1862, Hatch and Harvey Fisk began a finance and insurance company called Fisk and Hatch. That made sense. Partnership. The company initially focused almost exclusively in government bonds. Both men were short on capital at the time 
and relied on $15,000 worth of loans from family and friends. Hatch and Fisk found success as sub-agents for Jay Cook and company, popularizing and selling millions of dollars in government war securities in New York and New England. The two quickly became the front rank of bond dealers. My point in even reading this and bringing this guy out was where it says, both men were short on capital at the time and relied on $15,000 worth of loans, right? I'll tell you this, I mean, and I think others here can attend to it. It's not starting a business and starting some new uh, adventure isn't like you got all kinds of money to throw at it, right? These guys weren't in a position to take the world by storm by just writing checks out. Uh, they, they had to fight hard in the beginning. Next one down, Sir Titus Salt. It says um, he was a manufacturer, politician, philanthropist, uh, ph philanthropist in uh, Bradford, West Reading, Yorkshire, England, who is best known for having built Salt's Mill, a large textile mill, together with the attached village of Saltaire in Westshire, uh, West Yorkshire. If you look at the next page, see that picture there? Oh, and I do have these up here. Uh, first of all, let, let me show you this, this first picture of the first guy. Um, this is a, a, a painting he had done. That is, uh, what's the guy's name here? El, El Frederick Smith Hatch with his wife up by the, the fireplace mantle. And those are like children and grandchildren around him. All right. This is one of his favorite pictures, I guess. Uh, it's a popular picture. It show, shows up in a few different places that I was researching. And uh, what I like about it is he's a householder. I mean, he understands what, what this is about. And then um, the next picture you, you see, um, this is the uh, uh, Salt fella, Titus Salt with his wife and, and children. But what he built there to the uh, right in that um, the picture on your page as well was, uh, uh, well, I'll read it. I'll read starting here. Taking its name from its founder and the river air, the town was famous for its holistic approach to worker welfare. It had running tap water. He built this whole town around the idea of his employees were working for him. And they were working in his nearby textile mill. Okay, And they needed places to stay. They needed to be able to buy a home and do this and that. So he decided how to best care for their needs as well as... Uh, run his company. Um, it had running tap water, bathhouses, its own hospital and gymnasium, a concert hall, and several schools. In this, it was the polar antithesis, uh, antithesis of most industrial towns in Britain at the time. Salt modestly described his aim as, quote, to do good and to give my sons employment. <laughs> um, uh, along the new uh, Lanark in Scotland, Saltaire was an inspiration to a number of reforming Victorian industrialists, most notably the Cadbury family, okay, that's that uh, chocolate terrier family, I believe, who established the town of Bourneville near Birmingham for its workers in 1893, and Lever Brothers, who established Port Sunlight beside its soap-making factory on the Mercy in 1899. It was at a time, they got a bad rap, businesses did, business owners. And it was maybe a fairly attributed bad rap because they'd worked their 
the, their employees so hard and the conditions weren't very good. So this was an attempt from a person who said, well, that's not, that's not good enough. We, we got to take care the best we can of those who mean so much to us. And I, I, I don't, uh, it's not owed anybody, but it is the right thing to do. And this was a, a, a monument of, of his efforts. Don't look ahead. All right, I got one more in here. This is why I, ha- I had two, but this is the last one. Jesse Boot um, uh, transformed the Boots Company, it says, and what they dealt with was, with was uh, chemistry, with medicine, med- medical supplies, etc. Ask anyone, I, I'm going to skip to the first big paragraph. Ask anyone in British High Street where the nearest chemist is, and the chances are that you'll be directed to a branch of Boots. With over 1,500 shops across the United Kingdom, Boots serves around 8 million customer, customers every week. It is also a major manufacturing company producing chemicals, drugs, medical sundries, cosmetics, and household goods. Today it employs 63,000 people, and Boots brand products are sold in 14 different countries. When Jess Boot launched the company in mid-1870s, it consisted of himself. This is the part I really love. When he launched the company, it consisted of himself, his mother, and sister, and two assistants working in a room 12 feet square. All right? The spectacular growth of the business over the next 40 years was almost entirely due to the energy, the flair, and the relentless application of this remarkable man. Boots sold his controlling interest to America investors in 1920. So I look at at these examples from just from this book and I think, yeah, that's impressive to me. They're still household people. These businesses start in a family. Even this Boots becoming so large. Look at all the people blessed. I think one of the the neatest parts of the business that, that we have going with GAPA security solutions is, man, we actually got people that have paychecks out of this that that can provide for their families and kind of grow their own little households and lives. That's that's a a great uh, blast for me. But any thoughts, any business that you can think of that, um, you know, you knew who it was that started it, it was, it was, Barney down the hill, or it was my my brother, and he just started. Anybody got any examples that way? The business that I love that comes to mind is Knuth's. Is what? Knuth's. Okay. Ripon. It's that brewery that just started from him, and we had an opportunity at one point. He did a little interview about how he started and soaked up knowledge um, from what's the other pizza place? Christianos. Who oh. Feels is like a second father, so it's not necessarily a blood. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Relative, right. Sometimes, um, you know, those relationships are built and people become part of your non-family family that are influenced and then build their own business. And the way that he takes care of his people there and they all love working for him and the environment and how every um, beer has a story about a person in his family or his wife or his daughter. Um, it's just, I love that. Yeah, so yeah. I think of that business all the time. And every time we go in there, we just say to him, Dave, we love Dave. Dave. What you have here is just so cool, inspiring. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that that's a great point, though. If he if he took a lot of what he and independent a lot upon Cristiano's guy, mm-hmm. to me that's this is what this is about. I feel like if someone wants to 
buy a place and rent it. Well, we, we know people who've done this. Let's learn from them. You yeah. know why? We don't got to reinvent the wheel on some of this stuff. And it's not so scary when you know someone else did it. Well, Cristiano's has, like, what, they got three locations? Or? Yeah, three okay. locations. Yeah. And, and we like their pizza. We, we stop there, Tracy and I do. Every time we go on our getaways, we'll go to Cristiano's. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bob? Well, I know uh, the mine shaft, I mean, uh, years ago, I was working at John Deere. One of the guys knew him owned a single bar on that block, the mine shaft. In Hartford. In Hartford, and he hired us that night to remodel it, and he said his goal was to expand to own the whole block. Okay. And, but he had that vision, and he also went and did things that would bring people into his establishment, good food, darts, this and that. And each year, he'd call us back as he kept buying up these buildings. Now he does own that whole block from the where he started to the south, and I think he bought one to the north, but now there's a big mine shaft in uh, Oshkosh as yeah, well. Yeah, but yeah. he said, you know, that this is his goal. And he, he always said, he said, I hire good people, and I pay them to stay, and that they like their job. And yeah, interesting. That you don't have people complaining if customers come in that oh, I hate this place and that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and people want to come back, so. I, uh, I look at that, and in both cases, you think, oh, this is the development. Maybe Knuth's is only ever going to be that one location, and he's satisfied with that, and God is satisfied with that, right? Uh, it, it doesn't always have to grow into the next store or into 63,000 employees, right? Uh, but there, there is the, I, just the, I guess, going back to the concept, this is, this is a guy that's... You know, that's what he wanted. He had that, and he worked for... Yeah. He says it'll take time, but he says eventually these stores want to sell. Did they buy the whole block? It's all the way down to the, the, the what is that, 33 that goes through there? Yeah, yeah. yeah so he, he yes. said he wants to get all the way to 33. He's got all that. And I think one business to the north he's got. A hold up. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, but the thing is, look at the, you know, the business he had, you know, and we stopped there a lot. And it seems like it's always busy. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Georgine? I think of my cousin Howard Olson locally in Randolph. Him and his son started this produce plant, a, a shoestring. They were both killed in an airplane accident. The family carried on, and it's just grown. That's the Olson produce? That's huge, isn't it? Huge. Yeah. Yeah, it, but it all, again, you go right back to some family decided to start this. And you, you I, I guess I challenge you to come up with an example where that wasn't the case. And it was done rightfully. You know, maybe you'd say, well, the government started this business. Well, where, where is it, first of all? And if it is, that those swindlers, how dare they take tax money and start a business with it, right? Or the church started this business. What are they, competing with their own congregants? You know, I, I uh, and where did they get the money to start it? They're congregants, you know, so... No, those two institutions, they, they're, they're not the ones God made for this purpose. But. I don't know, the Catholics have their bingo for their money. Yeah, well, and, and they've, well, that's, you know, it's true. Um, I have one other example here that I wanted to share, and it's with the pictures up here. One of, the, uh, one of our competitors, I guess you could call it, we're no competition for them, but they show up and, and, and do work in our, our, uh, our um, 
playing field, right, with cameras and access control and locks, etc., is Permar. And uh, uh, Permar is a company that actually, uh, they put out a little booklet on, on how their company arrived to where it was. And I, I've got them on the next page, page three. Permar Security and Research Corp. This is just from their little booklet. This innovative and family-focused initiative began in 1953 with World War II veterans John and Eleanor Duffy in Davenport, Iowa. It was just a man and his wife. This is how it started. The Duffys are the heroes of the story whose legacy continues the traditions of devotion to family and friends, service to the community, and development of business that continue to meet the needs of the Quad Cities, that's Iowa, through more than a half a century. These companies continue to grow based on a reputation of corporation good citizenship, corporate good citizenship, integrity, and responsibility. I've got like four pictures here. The first one is when they finally in Iowa bought a house and the business was there, okay, in their house, you know, at the dining room table, etc. And then, um, down by in the corner is one of their locations now, uh, Permar Center in the corner there. Today, uh, what does it say? 25 branches they have now across Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Um, and then in, in the uh, upper right-hand corner, there's a picture of, uh, of some security guards. And the, the beauty of this uh, picture, and now they've got you know, represented other security guards here. The beauty of the picture is uh, they had hired a sales guy along the way who was an old, I think, FBI agent or something that had retired. And he went out and was selling their services to people. And mostly it was investigative services like theft, retail theft and so on. Um, uh, Duffy, what was his name again? Um, John Duffy was kind of good at that. He'd gotten some experience uh, up in Minnesota where he was helping this company like figure out what they were missing and they'd lost so much inventory and he, he started and they were suspecting some of their employees of, of, of stealing. And uh, so he started like looking into it and then interrogating, you know, or having meetings with some of these employees and, and he was like figuring it out and uh, and and, and and he accounted for much of the company's then uh, savings in the future. I mean, it was, a, it was a little story in the beginning when he didn't have his own business. He was just working as, as an investigator. Then he was getting a... Um, uh, anyway, this sales guy. Sorry, go back to that sales guy that he had hired down the road. Um, asked, uh, he was at this company, and I don't remember the name of the company, Searle Company, I think maybe. Hey, do you guys have security guards? And the sales guy uh, said, "Well, let me let me uh, let me talk to my boss about you know what your need is." And he he calls up uh, John uh, John Duffy, and Duffy goes, "Yeah, we got security guards. We'll have them ready." <laughs> yeah. And they basically figured we're going to hire some people, put some uniforms on them, and teach them how to start doing things. They did not allow a, a, a required need that came up from a customer to go unanswered or unattended. That was one of their goals. We gotta see what we can do to meet the needs of our customers in the area that we are supposedly serving, okay? Um, anyway, uh, 
So what happened, though, is he was leaving the cities. He had another buddy who had left there and went out to Colorado. He says, you got to come out here. We can start something together, whatever. So he and his wife get in their car, and they're, gonna, they're, they're driving down to Iowa, uh, through Iowa, which is where her family's from, and they're going to go out to Colorado. The car breaks down. They don't got enough money to fix it. So they're in Iowa. He's just got to get work. He, he, he's not going to be able to make it out there. He's living in a friend's, uh, side by side of the friend's house with his wife. And, um, and so he takes a job with Oscar Meyer on the kill floor. And uh, John's responsible for cutting the ears off the head. <laughs> you know, this, was, this was his big job. And then he also uh, took on a, a salesman job um, for, uh, I think I wrote it down somewhere. He took on a salesman job for, uh, there were br- brush sales. So he'd be selling brushes. What does that mean? Fuller brush. Fuller brush. Yeah, that's it. Right, right. And, and so he's selling fuller brush and he's doing that part time, trying to create some funds. He's working on, uh, on the kill floor at Oscar Meyer and he's still saying, okay, but I want to start this investigative services business. And so he was going to do that right in, I think, Davenport, Iowa or whatever. And, but he said, okay, but I can't be selling fuller brush to people in my, my home city and then tell them I'm an investigative services you know, guy. So he goes, I take my, my, my boy and his basketball team and went to a Catholic school to these different cities. And, and, his, and his son remembers, yeah, dad used to take us there, drive the bus or whatever. Let us off. Then you go out and make sales calls for Fuller Brush all over the place, right? Because then he'd come back. And so he'd be, his, his business with Fuller Brush was growing in these cities around where his home was because that's where he wanted the investigative services to take off. Well, eventually he gave up on Fuller Brush and started selling pots and pans for some company. Anybody got a name on that one? Okay. Uh, Weaver. Okay. Uh, and uh, he had had enough success there, and and then his he kept advertising and doing his little investigative work around town. Word got around where he said he could finally quit the uh, the kill floor, which was one of the best days of his life. <laughs> anyway, he grew it into to Permar, and and here you go. But there again, you, you got a family based husband and wife working off their dining room table, little by little. And, and, and before you know it, they've gotten somewhere. So then, to the ways a household can create wealth. Uh, there are a multitude of way, businesses, but only a few ways. Be here on the, uh, on the uh, outline. The first stream of wealth is to start your own company. I told Tracy about... Uh, Seven Years to Seven Figures. It's one of the books I have here when we began the business. When I was thinking about a business, I said, seven figures. Okay, we will reach a million dollars within seven years, Tracy. Because I read the book. I'm easily sold. I'm going to do this. We're going to figure out a way. All right. We didn't, we didn't pro- profit by seven figures in seven years. But we were selling over a million dollars within seven years of, of starting the company, which was... Uh, my way of saying see (laughs) but if any of you know with a business you can sell three million dollars and not make a penny when it's over you can actually lose money uh 
actually. Um, so, uh, but it was uh, it wasn't that bad for us. We had sold over a million dollars in seven years, uh, in in a year. Okay, so it wasn't like over that whole time we finally reached a million. In the seventh year, we sold a million dollars worth of, of stuff. Now it's it's gone beyond seven years for us, and and beyond that figure, but. Uh, I kind of I'm, I'm easily sold, and and I, I really like Michael Masterson. That's why I've suggested these two books now. And uh, but I'm so easily sold. I'm the guy who walks with his wife through the mall, and a girl comes out and goes, "Oh, you want to try this nail buffer sander thing?" And you know they're at one of these kiosks, and then she starts doing and showing you, and I'm like, "Give me two." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the kind of guy I am. I gotta talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the only thing that's helped in, in times, I think, has been I don't have a lot of uh, desires that need to be, you know, uh, fulfilled that way. And I've learned that, you know, you get farther ahead when you don't spend the money and try to reserve, preserve it rather than uh, spend it, which is, I suppose. Something I should have learned day one in the Dutch community, right? So we got a lot for me to learn. Um, but you're taking a risk when you start a business. You're taking a risk. Not, not a lot of people like taking risks. You're going to do something for the first time. Hasn't been done before. Uh, it was very helpful for, for us at, with Gappa Security Solutions to start on a shoestring. I, I didn't have to come up with a bunch of money and um, uh, I pretty much knew knew the industry in, 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 in one real sense as far as selling goes. Um, our first real concern financially, I might have mentioned it last time, was hiring uh, Andy Nigrin because we hadn't, um, hadn't really had to hire someone, provide insurance and so on. And that was very uh, scary for Tracy. It was... I was concerned too. I mean, you got to make sure you can pay him. That's the reason that you sell anything from this point on is so you can pay Andy, you know, which we did better than that. But um, so your company or your franchise company, right? Um, I've, I've got two examples here, and I wanted to bring Georgine in on it because. When you start thinking about a business, it's not just like you got to invent the thing yourself from scratch. So I'm asking uh, Georgine, and I'll answer these questions too. Your own company um, or a franchise company, franchise is like someone else has got this, you're going to buy in. I'm going to start this, uh, this business, um, but it's really all been started for me and other people are doing the same thing. Um, what motivated you to start? My motivation, real quick, was the plurality of elders. This concept is so important to me. I thought if, if we're going to have a true plurality of elders where other men in the church are teaching and leading and doing things just like the pastor, right, then I can't be the guy getting the income and, 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 uh, and living off of it while they're plumbers and electricians and carpenters and going to work and so on. That just doesn't, it's not going to square, right? So that was my motivation. Georgine, what was your motivation for starting um, with Tupperware? I wanted to supplement the income because it seemed like we were drowning in doctor bills. We had four small children. The oldest was mentally challenged. 
number three child was very allergic and by the time he was six months old, 50% of his body was covered with eczema in rash, in scabs. So it was many, many doctor appointments. And we were hired hands on a large dairy farm. I wanted to supplement the income doing something though that wouldn't take me away from the family too much. I saw an ad in a local paper for a secretary to a lawyer. I applied, I was hired. I was very excited because now I could use the shorthand and typing skills that I learned in high school. I worked two to three days a week. The neighbor girl came over to the house to stay with the little ones. Well, this lasted all of two months. He was one of the best known lawyers in the area, but I couldn't sleep at night knowing I had transcribed many letters with false and not true information. It bothered me a lot. So I tried the canning factory next working at night, coming home at one or two in the morning. Cream style corn spattered across my glasses and in my hair. It did taste good though, did you lick Yeah. Your <laughs> well that lasted, for, <laughs> that lasted for two weeks. So I just kept watching the want ads in our local papers. In the meantime, I hosted a Tupperware party in my home. When we were closing the party, I asked the Tupperware consultant if she thought this would be something that I would be good at. She looked around the kitchen and she said, I think you have your hands full right here. Now all of you men probably know when a woman has her mind made up to do something, <laughs> you had better not tell her she's not able to do it. Or just in spite, she will prove you wrong. I was persistent. I liked the product. I wanted to be a Tupperware consultant. So I wrote through the address on the back of the catalog. Within a week, I had a district manager at my door. She signed me up for very little money to get started, and the rest is history. So you paid them money yes. to get started? Yes, a whole $69. What year was it? 1960. Wow, that was before I was born. Yeah. By three years. 61 years they've been in it. So I held my parties in the evening. I went to people's homes and hold parties while dad was home with his children. And when I started, my goal was to earn just enough to buy the groceries. I learned setting goals for me was very necessary. A goal doesn't have to be big to be important. Short-term goals, long-term goals. I started with small goals and small steps. It wasn't long I was earning more money than needed for groceries, so now I could help pay some medical bills. And over the years, we had two more children, another mentally challenged child, and one born with hardly any hearing. As the years went by, my business grew. My goals grew bigger. We built a home that was truly a leap of faith. My goal now was to make the house payments each month. Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians refers several times to setting goals. And over the years, we were able, with God's blessing, to build savings, make some investments, and give more money to the church. My advice for anyone thinking about it, first of all, get out of your comfort zone. 
Be passionate about your ideas. If you like the products or services you're providing, you're more likely to work harder and achieve success. Find a need and fill it. And then keep positive. Have positive expectations. If you set goals, it will help you to stay focused. Set SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T. S, specific. M, measurable. A, attainable. R, relevant. And T, time-based. Do your homework. Find a goal that will fit around your family schedule. And be aware of expenses and obstacles because it's going to happen. If your outgo is consistently greater than your income, eventually your upkeep will become your downfall. So what are your goals, your thoughts, your dreams for 2022? Set goals because they do build character. And I'm sure God's far more interested in our character than he is in our accomplishments. To get from where you are to where you want to be isn't done in one leap. It's often many small steps. Patience, persistence, prayer. Pray for wisdom, pray for courage. May we always look to God who knows us and loves us, and he wants us to be the very best we can be. Did you answer all of those questions and what you just I tried did, right? To. Okay, yeah, no, I think you did. Um, I just didn't want to cut you cut you off there. I I um, I just wrote recently. I finished up this little sales, the Christian Salesman and the Ten Commandments book. I just finished it up. I had a couple people reading it to give me their input so I can tweak it and change it. And, but I, I I said he's not worried because people got a false idea of God. I said I don't think his greatest concern is that you're happy. His greatest concern is that you're good. You know, and um, I, I think that is you kind of going along with what what you're saying there. But no, I think thanks for that, Georgine. I'm trying to get an idea of okay, so what are you up against? And you you had definite financial uh, challenges, and the, the husband wife with kids. <coughs> how do you not leave your home? It, you know, and have both working. How do you have mom with kids? Is I think the ideal, but how do you how do you do that if you're really strapped? I mean, if you're broke, for one thing, don't get into greater debt. Be willing to live on a lot less than the guy down the street. But then after that, it's like you almost got to start a business that you can work from the home. And if you can get the family involved in even small things, it's helpful too for children. And you had examples of that, didn't like? All of them almost do Tupperware with you or alongside of you? They did at one time or another, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But even when they were small, just to stamp catalogs or something like that made them feel important. Yeah. Part of it. yeah, we're always so shocked at like how excited the boys get to help. Exactly. I mean, even splitting wood, like not with the business yet, we hope for that. Um, but like one day Abram ran inside and he's like, I had the best day ever. I'm like, really? Today? He's like, yeah, Dad, let me help split wood. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that's better than going to Florida? Mm -hmm. or, you know, he's like, yes. Mm -hmm. And we were like, 
okay, well, let's find some other things for you to do. <laughs> and all along, you could have been saving money and yes. actually having money produced. Yes. By, uh... there was a life lesson there. The yeah. boys want to help dad. They think it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Well, the girls too. Yeah. Everything I know, and I used to split with, we'd go off. I mean, sometimes it'd be five below zero, and we'd be out there, and I'd say, well, let's go. No, no, we just got here. Coincide, though, with what you're saying that there's some. Yeah. Georgine, there is sometimes, though, when you have a dual income, now you have to find a babysitter. Like with Sue and I, when we first got married, for her to drive to Fond du and live here, right? Her job was in Fond du For her to do that and us to get a babysitter and the clothes that she bought, the gas that she had to have, the extra insurance, etc., it was better for us just that she had. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Georgine's temporary thing fits in with what you're saying. You have to counter all that into your, your figure. Yeah. And being able to do it at nights or, you know, odd times, and then Junior being able to watch the kids with the big people. Yeah, amen. Were, were there other franchise options for you at that time, at that day? Fuller uh, Brush. There were. Fuller Brush, yeah. McNess and Fuller Brush. What was McNess? McNess. Um, more kitchen oh. products. Oh. Spices, vanillas. Okay. Pie fillings. You're such a pistol. Another thing I did, I remember, is we had a small graft. It was a thermometer on our bulletin board in the kitchen. And when it reached a certain point, we would go to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And when, if my sales reached that certain oh, right. point, then, oh, the kids couldn't wait for me to get out and hold another party so we could go to McDonald's. <laughs> well, we're fine with the TV. No, they didn't have TV that much, right? <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> so just little things like that helped yeah, a lot. Yeah. Well, no, I think the opportunity today is far greater for home businesses with so many people purchasing things online. If you could find a niche and that I told you about my my niece's wreath business. So yeah, good. Uh, but you know, it's just uh, the opportunity is there. It's just finding the right niche and. Then, getting it going and you might not end up with a friend well with the kind of thing that you're, you're dealing with you might not become a millionaire you know with uh, it but you, like i said before what's what's the goal well, she what wants to stay home with her kids that was her goal yeah right, and right. she was a teacher and she said i'd rather stay home with my kids and so you know after you know a year of doing the wreath business and then we thought well we'll stay home with our kids and uh, so, you know, like I say, she found her niche and everything's online. Yeah. So I think she does two shows a year. That's it. And you know, the other part too is that now you're raising your kids. Yeah, you you're raising your kids. You want to have somebody else raising your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was our goal all the time to live in a, you know, smaller house and have Christy home raising the kids. Yeah. And if I had to work two or three jobs, that's all right, you know. But, I, one of the best books I think I ever read, and it influenced us a lot as a family, the household, right, was Family Fortunes by this guy named Bill Bonner, who, who said, if you look back in history, and maybe I mentioned this already, the, 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 the oldest wealth, right, that goes way back, the old money, 
He says, none of them, I mean, one common factor was the, the originator, the benefactor of that well, um, had a spouse that was home with the children because their, uh, the children, that capital was more important for the long-term money. And not that this is reason, but they were more important. And in order for things to continue on, uh, you had to treat your, train up your children correctly. You, you, they, had to, they had to be people who were loved and taught what was right and, and so on. And then they kind of carried on, in many cases, uh, the family business or whatever. But, you know, it's just the experience, like you say, the kids get firewood. And, like, my kids and I trapped, they'd come out and help me skin them and flesh them. And, and I'm they, glad you weren't my dad, Bob. And <laughs> then, they, then they had the guts to chase Abby and Kelvin around with dead muskrats. <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> they're glad that you weren't. No, so they had a good sense of humor built into it, too. <laughs> you would have been so disappointed if I was your daughter. I would have been the, the one out going, Ew! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been the, the son out there going, Ew! <laughs> <laughs> you know, when our kids were young, well, we had three kids within four years. And, like I say, it was just not feasible to go out and work, you know. But I had a big garden. I canned all my stuff, you know, froze vegetables and whatever. And I sewed, and I made all my kids' clothes. I mean, our shopping trip was to the fabric store. <laughs> you know, that was our shopping trip, not to a department store. And oh, because so you're going to make your own clothes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. yeah, I made, I made all the clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I had three brothers I could go to. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, poor Will's in the same boat. Yeah. Here you go, sweetie. Yeah. Just carry it right down. Well, I even, made, I even made Marley clothes. I made him blue jeans. I made him jackets. Yeah. I mean, you know. What's really tough is when your older brothers passed on their bed sheets and they were peers. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Yes, Joe. I'll keep moving through. I got a couple more things. We can take a short break after that. And then, uh, um, so we kind of skipped through. I'm going to skip through adding any more to, to those questions. Um, church needs to teach on the family's importance uh, to human flourishing. The church needs to, to teach this. Family is the institution governed to create wealth. Not the church, not the, not the uh, state. And it's important that they, that they do these things. The church supports families when it supports businesses. A church can hamper the family's livelihood by teaching incorrectly. There, were, uh, there was a book that came out in the whenever, 70s, I think it was. I think I got it in, in here as the date. Yeah, it's in your notes packet. <clears throat> okay, thanks, uh, Tom. The church must teach correctly regarding the family and wealth creation. In 1978, Dr. Ron Sider, a professor of theology, published his book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, Moving from Affluence to Generosity. Okay, that's a loaded title. Sounds nice, but when you actually read the book, you see where he's coming from. Sider believed the answer to poverty would require constrictive social and economic policies. Okay, so the government's going to help figure out how to take care of your wealth, right? And how to make sure that your affluence is being used generously. In 1985, author David Chilton answered Sider's arguments with his own book, Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulators, a Biblical Response to Ronald J. Sider. 
Chilton believed Sire to be a Fabian socialist, um, which if you look down, early Fabians rejected the revolutionary doctrines of Marxism, recommending instead a gradual transition to a socialist society. It was still socialism, just give us a little more time with it, okay? Um, Chilton believed Sire to be a Fabian socialist in lamb's clothing who caused a radical shift of political and economic opinion to the left in the neo-evangelical world, especially on college campuses. There is a wide chasm between these two in regard to the proper application of God's word to the creation of wealth and man's responsibility before God. It is vital that the church teaches appropriately in regard to family, wealth, and the state. I will not more highly recommend a book than uh, Productive Christians in the Age of Guilt Manipulators. What a great book Chilton, Chilton wrote there. And I think you can even get it free downloaded online if you like reading or printing out books and then reading them. <laughs> but Sal, is it easy to read that without reading the... Uh, yeah, I never read the other. He cites so much cider stuff. I'm just so uh, fed up with socialism crud yeah. that I don't really care to sink my... Oh, I want to really hear their argument. Not so much for that, but to understand what he's... Because it's a book in response to that. Right, right. You won't miss anything by just buying the Chilton book and, and starting without going backwards. <laughs> um, the state uh, also, I mean, so churches can do this. Just a couple of quick examples. I mean, it was brought up to me by uh, a businessman, a uh, local uh, businessman, and I, I, I agree with him. Um, he, he was very frustrated because the pastor of the church on Sunday said, okay, this Christmas, let's not buy things for people. Let's not go out and buy a sofa or let's not go out and, and spend money. Let's take it and do something more uh, benevolent with it. Maybe we can, you know, support people who are hungry in, in Africa or whatever. This was being preached from the pulpit. And, and he, the guy sitting in the pew was... <coughs> was a company, a business owner, who sold furniture and stuff. And it's like, what is he doing? What are you doing to me? This is, this is the season that we can actually make money. And I thought, sometimes we just kind of go sideways in our thinking. And, and, and the church, church as well. Here, Ron Sider influenced a lot of Christians to just become foolish about these things. And, uh, and it hurt. It's, it's hurt the church for decades and decades. So um, that's my two cents there. The state, the civil authorities needs to protect, uh, the state needs to protect free and fair enterprise for human flourishing to accomplish what God intends. It shall not steal by biblically unlawful taxation of which there is myriad of biblically unlawful taxation that takes place. And it kills, it sucks. It sucks like a bloodsucker out of wealth creating families um the state does and thinking it's got the answers it will tell you what to do with your money and it knows best what a bunch of malarkey and we can obviously say it's a bunch of malarkey when there's someone in 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 the white house etc that we don't think it's from our side but it's also a bunch of malarkey when the ones from our side do the very same types of things only just a little slower they still think they should tell you what to do with the money as well um, anyway, soapbox. Pretty good. <laughs>
Okay, so the second stream of wealth I have here is, and we'll kind of go through this a little quickly now. I think that's until we get to Paul, and then we'll really bog down and go slow. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the, uh, yeah, the second stream of wealth is to work for someone else by employment, right? Uh, salary, hourly arrangements. I have, you know, just as a little thing, some uh, the final page of that handout, addendum C, you know, just describes employment, employer. Uh, another term I got in there is real estate for later. Not that it's uh, not that it's that important to read right now, but just. Sometimes we say things we don't, what does that really mean to be an employee, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So um, take your time with that. You from your household, though, what's happening is you from your household, you're going to work for someone else's household, right? If you, if you don't have your own business, then you're working for someone else's household. And that's okay, and most people do it that way. And they have an income that they bring into their own household because of it, um, that's the most common common thing, is is to like that fellow who employed sixty three thousand people. That's sixty three thousand people. Some of them might have been his own household, but the rest of them were working under his household and for him. That's a lot of people that didn't run their own business, but they relied upon him running. Sixty three thousand doesn't matter if you're counting your household or not at that point. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it matters, you got quite a huge household, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so what we have, I got pictures up here. Abraham had Eleazar as his right hand man. I don't know if you remember the story, but it's it's a wonderful one to me. Abraham, I mean Eleazar, was committed to the house of Abraham, the household of Abraham, the guy who had three hundred and sixteen fighting men he could come up with, right? Well, Eleazar was his right hand guy. In fact, it got to a point where, where Abraham didn't know he was going to have children, and he thought, Lord, why don't we just make Eliezer the inheritor of all this? Let him be the heir. And the Lord said, no, someone from your own body is going to be the heir. But um, Eliezer uh, was important. In fact, he's the, the servant that, uh, um, I don't know, if, they, if they're hard to see. I just took artwork but he's the servant who um, Abram sent off to, to, find, to find the right woman for Isaac, right? Because he didn't want Isaac marrying someone from the nations he was residing in. So he sent him back to his own people. And it was kind of something done by oath, you know. But he could entrust him to do such a thing. You can go to the next page. If it's your decision to just be employed, you know, to work uh, under another person's household, it's it's not um, meaning that you could not someday also dabble and start your own enterprises. But it's uh, it's important that you become invaluable to your employer. I mean, if you want to make and and the most well, I don't even say it as far as making money. You should just become valuable to your employer, no matter what. That's part of the, the, the deal. You know, you're, you're going to put forth your labor. You put it forth to make your company better, the company you work for better. It's, it's a huge, though, for your benefit that you become important and valuable to your employer because it will also affect 
how much he wants you to continue working for him. And he'll pay you accordingly within the, the type of work you're trying to do. Paul? I always uh, think of that passage, I'm not sure what's following, where Jesus says, work every day as if you're working for Unto the Lord. Yeah, right. Yeah, That's good. Yeah, yeah, amen. No, that's that's that is probably the best verse to motivate if you think of nothing else, right? Um, as unto the Lord, and it doesn't mean you just work uh, well for them. I mean, as far as your skills and, and, and that kind of labor, I really sweat for them, you know. Because if your attitude's piss poor, as my dad would say, then you're not working well for the company you know if you're toxic or you're creating within the people you work alongside a toxicity you're being a horse's ass is another thing my dad used to say right and and we can't do that and and it's not unto the lord at all then and it's actually detrimental to the company and to the uh, environment you're trying to create uh, highly recommend to you, and some of you got the book last time, Automatic Wealth. I highly recommend, if you're, if you're working for an employer, reading pages 103 to 143. And uh, they really, he really gets to the point of how you become invaluable. And, um, and I, I highly recommend that. It's going to help your income, I believe. It's also going to just help, your, uh, help get you motivated. Is it possible to become part owner of the company you're working for? Um, I will withhold my answers, but <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, do, I would say this. Um, uh, there is something to be said for uh, a company that can kind of like give back in some way or, or foster the idea of ownership. The other thing is I always remember going into to this company you never want to partner with somebody. You never want a partnership. I'm thinking, all right, I'm, I don't know where I read it. I don't, there might even be some biblical uh, proverb or something that speaks to it. But you tie yourself to somebody in partnership, you're tied to all their flaws as well as all their strengths. And sometimes uh, the, the, that relationship becomes so strained that uh, it just kills the company. And I remember a buddy of mine... Um, had a lawn care company, lived right across the street from me. I enjoyed him a lot. He enjoyed me. He, had a, he, had a, 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 he knew what he was doing with lawn care. He worked commercial accounts, and he wanted me so badly to get into the business with him. I was just teaching school and principaling and things like that. And I thought, eh, I don't know, I don't know. Mm. Because, and the thing that kept me from doing it ever was he liked to play. He liked, he'd work hard, he'd, he'd, he'd hustle away. But then sometimes in the middle of the day, he'd just start, stop and be in a pickup basketball game, and then he'd be wiped out. He'd go home. He'd, you know, he just liked to play too much, and he did not pay his taxes. And then one thing I will warn you, and you'll hear more next time, you got to get some things right. Don't go playing with fire by not getting the government what they're going to come looking for. And I hate the fact that they come looking for it. But you try to weasel out of paying your taxes, good luck. Well, he, his, 
company went under one time, for sure, at least, and he was in some real legal hot water because he didn't pay his taxes like he should. And, and if, you, if, you owe, if you owe the government a buck, right, and you didn't pay him the buck, and you didn't amend for that, you know, in some way, real soon, tomorrow you owe them not a buck, you owe them about a hundred bucks because that's what they like to do. Oh, we're glad you didn't pay the buck. Now, here's your hundred dollar bill. I know. I do think that there are partnerships that do work. I mean, Norm and I were in a partnership together, but we were like-minded. And you take, like, uh, Fish and, and Hatch, you know, they started. Yep, company. yep, yep. So, I mean, you have to have like-mindedness, and I think that's where the Christianity comes into. Because if you add the Christianity to guide your business, in the same way, you're not going to be screwing your partner because it's against God's law, too. And you are both trying to work for the same goal. That helps me as well. I, I agree, and I, I'm not being emph- emphatic. I just know what I read, and so it influenced me enough to go, I don't think I'm going to do a partnership. Um, yeah, but I'm also the guy who bought the uh, yeah the nail file um, buffer. <laughs> two, <laughs> two of them. <laughs> Tracy never used them like she should have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, funny. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I it, and there is an S in, in, in a sense within a business. Even if you're not in partnership, you're still dealing with other people that you got to get along with. You got to learn how to to do things right, you know, and uh, forgive. Do a lot of forgiving. And anyway, so uh, Gary North, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's uh, has. I think he's old. He's he's like near death, I believe. Has always maintained that you better agree to what you're working for and then go about it. You make your own bet, okay? If you don't, if you're not happy with something, quit moaning, right? You you agreed to it. Fulfill what you agreed to. If, if you go ahead. Well, I just think Georgina perfect example. She didn't agree with the lawyer. Oh yeah, right, right. She didn't like the corn that was good yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah you make those decisions but if you decided and agreed to work for whatever say ten dollars an hour then work for ten dollars an hour don't go well what's he getting paid that doesn't really matter and and if you're not happy with ten dollars an hour then try to change that, you know, and go about what you need to do to change that. But um, too often, um, we, we don't understand that. The owner of the company is trying to do the same as you, okay? You made your deal. This is $10. Well, he's just trying to make things work for the company. I can afford to pay you this much. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I'm okay with that. We're, we're working together then. Don't go blaming him because, oh... Jim down there gets $12 an hour. So what? You agreed to $10 an hour. Work it out. Don't, don't treat, and this is the, the biggest pet peeve, not, I don't experience this that I'm aware of too much, but treat the company owner as if he's this, this devious person who's all about the money, right? Twisting his little mustache and can't wait, rubbing his hands together where we poor workers are trying to just do our best and he just takes it all. Give me a break, all right? 
So turn. I want to. I want to read. Um, don't allow the Marxist class envy to creep in. Okay, it, it, it preaches haves and have-nots, and your employer becomes the enemy that way. You can't allow Marxism to creep into your attitude. Go ahead. Well, we kind of had that when I worked at the factory. That was a lot of what you were saying about, you know, the, the boss has this and the boss has that. And I always responded, I'm glad the boss has this and has that. I'm glad he has a boat and glad he has a vacation home, because that means that the business is doing well. And that means that you and I are going to get paid and have a job tomorrow. So. That's a good – who says that these days? That's an a, a excellent response. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, that's exactly right, and uh, good for you. So I want to turn to Matthew 20. This is just a simple case in point. It's the uh, parable of the workers in the vineyard. I'll read it real quickly to you. Matthew 21 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. You get the picture, right? He's, people are coming, starting a little late and getting out there a little late, but he's hiring people. Nice guy, I would think. Right? Um, they said to him, because no one has hired us, he said he didn't go to the and, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when they, those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Seemed like they got a legitimate complaint almost. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with my with, with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. <clears throat> I, I don't get that. I mean, if you agree to do something for, for some, I, I would say this. Day two, you might want to ask for a little more. <laughs> you know, hey, uh, I noticed how you did day one. You know, and I get that it's your money. You do what you, what you want with it. I'm 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 glad for those guys. They they really had a, a great opportunity. But today to hire, I, I want two denarius or whatever, and and you move on from there. I always took that parable as being more of a meaning as I've been a Christian all my life. I should be uh, honored, more honored, and glorified to God in, in heaven. Whereas this guy just met you yesterday. Right, right. And, has, and he gets to go to heaven too. And, and, and 
Yeah, yeah, and and very well, it could be the the parable being applied that way, or or tied to the Jews, Gentiles, or whatever. Um, but the principle's the same, you know. The and is envy. yes, it's envy. It's, it's envy. No matter how you read it, it's envy. If you take it yeah. as a worker, I speak it like you do. You know that it's spiritual, but it's envy. Yeah, class envy can't be creeping in. This is Marxism, and, and I think I see it happen sometimes in in terms of. Um, salesmen. Well, the salesmen get this. The salesmen, why do they get to do that? Or whatever, right? Or the office people, they never have to go out and blah, 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 blah right? Um, it's, it's sin. But make your own bed, sleep in it, and be happy with it. Is working for a company as good today as it was in the past? What do you think? I don't know. I think sometimes better, sometimes worse. In what way is it worse? I think uh, the competition is there that, you know, I'm hearing a lot where people that work for some place a long time, they bring in temps, they're paying them more just to get them in to do it. So I, I can see where... This parable would make would some make sense. sense. And, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, I can see why. Mm-hmm. I mean, but... Uh, but like you say, there's a way of approaching, talk to your boss and say, hey, wait a minute, you're paying... These clowns more than me, and they don't even have the skill of me. You know, I had that happen when I was running jobs. They hired somebody, and he didn't know what he was doing. I had to keep bailing them out, running jobs. I was constantly over there, and, and here he's making more than me. And so I just went to the company and said, you know, this, this isn't working. This isn't working. Fair enough. I mean, I used a little stronger language than that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Again, a complainer. <laughs> but, you know, I just said, if they would have just said, too bad, I would have just, okay. You know, but yeah, yeah. the thing is, you know, they said, yeah, you're right. You but, you know, but I think uh, right now, I mean, companies are dying for workers, so they're paying them wages that you can't believe if you're willing to show up and be there. And, uh, and, and, but it's harder for, I stopped at Ace and Marquezan the other day, and I said, well, how's business going? He keep busy. He says, yeah. He says, it's only me. He says, I, I can't keep any workers. He says, I can't compete with all these bonuses and Oh, right, signing bonus or whatever. Yeah. You could probably make a living out of signing bonuses today, right? As long as, yeah, but you got to stick it out long enough, yeah, I think, if they're smart. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I think anybody who shows up to work has a good attitude. I mean, companies love them because you know they're there and they're doing their jobs. Yeah. But once you apply for the company that's expanding and growing, you probably get the better wage. Well, I think you can always move on if you want. But the thing is. Uh, like my dad said, you learn everything you can in each place because it's just going to help you in the long run where they say, can you do this, can you do that? You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think to add to your thing is, I, I know as a company, we've been in a position where you're just trying to find a sales guy or something, right? Yeah. And 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 But you want to find the right person or, or, or a tech who, who's coming in with experience. Yeah. Well, sometimes... You, you hire one, and, and, and they've got the experience, and you got to pay them accordingly. Does that mean, well, I've been here three years working. Um, I don't get paid that much. Yeah. Well, he, he's, he's, he's got 25 years in the industry, yeah. you know. Um, but, again, you make Those yourself. Are variables that. Right, are part of that. Measurable variables. And, and, it, and it is really one of those. Make yourself invaluable. Yeah. And you're in the best Best position there and anywhere else. When I came out of construction, it was 
whether they were teachable or not. Well, the first thing was whether they were whiner or not. Those all went first when they came to the Yes. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, but then it was whether they were teachable, willing to keep learning. No, it was. We had some excellent craftsmen that all they did was whine it. And when, it, you know, when the supervisor had to get together, it would lay off. And, but even the owner said, well, why this guy? He's a good yeah, and, and I would I would say I would say, and I, I, I'm kind of limited how I say things because we got employees here. But uh, <laughs> so I was I was reluctant when I was saying you should read the part about making yourself invaluable and all the money you can make that way. Becoming part owner. Yeah, yeah, becoming part owner. I knew I, I knew you were here. Someone chime That's why you started with a partnership with the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy? And I don't think it's a good or bad direction discussion, but I think it's just different. The small family owned businesses, I see a big difference between them. I work for a pretty major corporation. Now, you've built the, the business from the ground up. It benefits you to do well in that business, um, build it to your expectations and whatnot. But in big corporations, it seems like now you have CEOs that come in and run a business. They're they answer to the shareholders. They're, and they're not owners even, right? right? They're just right. They're very executive fickle. officers. They're very fickle, they'll leave on the, if profits aren't high enough. A lot of that's driving how big businesses are run now. And it's, I think it affects these these businesses differently than it did when there were either family owners or... Um, Before they got so full of themselves, so or, they got so big, or even, or even public. The CEO, manager that would run them and be there for 20, 30 years. Now you see the lifespan of a CEO being 10 years and they're out the door, so they're looking to maximize their profits for 10 years. After that's done, mm -hmm. they take their their bonuses and whatever and walk out the door. Well, that's fine, and they, they have incentive to do good for these big companies and grow them because they, they benefit from that. Unfortunately, they're making short-term decisions, though, and leaving on the best interest of the company long-term. They don't have a 100-year plan. Right. It reminds me of that book that you recommended, The Infinite Game. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I think you recommended yep, that one. Yep, I definitely. love that book, but, but having a different perspective on the long-term game versus Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. I, but I think it's a double-edged sword, too, because we're all, a lot of us have 401ks or yeah. retirement investments of some sort, an IRA or whatever they invested in, well, all that money's in these companies that are making profits too. So you benefit in a way, but I just see decisions in the company that, work, that I work for that you wonder if it's always in the best interest of the, the long term of the company or if it's just for right The now, yeah, right. No, I appreciate that. And, and I remember, uh, I don't know, I think it was uh, Zachary, my son, who said, um, "What what gives with this idea of incorporating anyhow, right? You know, so you have this legal entity you create that, that becomes the business to almost like shelter you away from anything going wrong for you personally, uh, because the business 
takes the hit or the lawsuits against the business. It's a limited liability corporation or an S corp or whatever. And um, I think those are all, all all questions that come up in in, in in questions I don't have all the answers to by any means. You know, but uh, yeah, and you now you got publicly traded shares and what does that all look like all of a sudden? That's stuff that comes up by us all the time. Yeah. Obviously, there was a reason why it was made. Yeah. It's not time to tell if it's an investment. The family being removed because now the son isn't taking over and being the CEO. Right. Or the grandson. You've got to hire somebody else in. And that's when it's no longer family entry. And not so personal anymore. Now it becomes a little bit less personal. And that's a good point, right? If your name's on the company and you're one of the family members and you take it over, something goes bad with that business, your name's attached. Mm -hmm. A CEO coming in, gone in 10 years, there's no, I shouldn't say there's no responsibility, but you can walk away and probably go to a business of one of the other members of your board or whatever. Right, right. CEO of the next business, you can probably walk away with most of all your benefits and not really have anything. Yeah. And, 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 and there, there you go, in one sense though, uh, to keep someone from really abusing and hurting people, the government does play a role. There are there is a, a there are legal uh, ramifications for some uh, illicit decision making that uh, that should involve the state. But uh, yeah, no, I. Yeah, I'm not saying good or bad. No, I agree. No, I agree. Um, foolish or or wise is more what you're saying. You gonna say something, Christy? You look. You were gonna say something. You're gonna. No, okay. Okay. Very good. <clears throat> no. Uh, so it is. Uh, what are some of the benefits of being this employee person, though, and not owning the business? There are. You don't have the headaches. You don't have the headaches. Amen. Insurance. Yeah. You got insurance. Yeah. Yeah. You get some of these things that the, a, a business hopefully offers you if if they're in a place to, to be able to. Yeah, right. Your employees aren't talking behind your back, right? There's challenges of both. We discuss it all the time because now we're in both camps. So yeah. he's in his own business camp, and we talk about growth for him and the risks and, and uncertainties. Um, and the certainties for me in my position, but some of the stressors that come for working for the state. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's just it's just changing stresses. You know, it's. There's always there's always going to be some kind of stress both ways, um, but and different opportunities. Right. Yeah. 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 Like having being an employee for somebody in a company that's doing well, you have that guarantee that the income's always there, right? You can go to work. Supposedly, and yeah. you go home. You don't have to take your work home most of the time. You know, when you are working, well, <laughs> most people don't take their work home with them. Right, but um, you know, and as a business owner, you're always in your business, always. Yeah, I, I I'll guarantee you, you know, the million dollar sales year where you don't make money, everyone else got made their money. <laughs> right, right. Oh, it's it's uh, it, there are headaches, that's for sure. I I've lost more nights of sleep, I would I would venture to to guess than anybody else in the company over company issues. Not that they haven't all. Even I think even uh, even technicians they, they wrestle with things 
in their in their brains figuring it out while they're in bed at night, you know, because I got to deal with this tomorrow morning. I know Matt's spread literature and, and documents and pieces of stuff out on his living room floor or wherever you were just to be able to be prepared. And Andy Nygren had, had it in his head, he was trying to figure things out in the way he does things with his head, um, that he was actually in the middle of the night in his sleep binding his wife up as if it were wire, you know, that he was fitting into a cabinet, you know. Uh, uh, and, and she's like, what were you doing last night? <laughs> Working. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. So I thought that's hilarious, you know. But, okay, Bob, what do you say? Well, I think well, a lot of times uh, working for an employer is a stepping stone if you have an entrepreneur spirit, like the demonstration of these guys, they're working for somebody else, and then they were able to do a business on the side or work, you know, <coughs> a business to get them to the next step where they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, some people, they uh, work for employers and they did a little side business, but that's all they ever wanted. They never wanted to take it right. somewhere right. else, but they, it freed them up to give them the capital to do other things. And I've seen others, you know, over years where they started small and they keep growing and growing and then they step out of the full-time employment. Now it's time I can quit cutting yeah. it, so, it, you know, it's all ears off of heads, right? You're, you know, it's, are you doing something productive or is your whole week tied up with activities that are not productive, I guess. That's which for busyness. Yeah. You know, some people think busyness is productivity and it isn't. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's a good good point. Some people just keep it as a side business forever, right? Yeah. And, and I think you, you guys are going to have to make a decision on the painting business. Like, we, we want to build this into something, but do we want to build beyond our two boys? Do we really want to hire seven guys painting? I mean, how, how big is too big for what we want to try to accomplish? Let them be the ones hiring seven guys, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're just, I, I don't know. you got to make those decisions at some point. And sometimes the work demands you make those decisions before you even want to make those decisions. Yeah. yeah. Is that, did you have more to add, Bob? No, like I'm saying, I knew one guy who sold a type of shoe on the side of that, but that's what he liked doing. Mm-hmm. He got to meet people and that, but he never wanted to grow it any bigger, you know. It's just, no, you know, he knew his limits, how much time he wanted to put in there. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, But a little extra income and, uh, yeah, regular customers that you like seeing. So yeah. I think that's the glory of the baby steps too, and really understanding what works and what your priorities are. Um, for us, it's all about putting ourselves in position to make that decision. So, yeah. um, how do we reduce debt? How do we look for other places where I can step into so I can become more of a support unit for him? And um, so, without ever quitting my job. Yeah. at this point and still working and still planning and still goal goal orientation but checking in with different places to say how can I still make sure my student loan is taken care of but take care of my family differently so it's it's kind of scheming in a way the yeah. way Georgine did and just the, making sure you have all those different you're opportunities saying the, the small steps and they all yeah. add up and so when know, that time comes the right we can do it yeah. if it's not, a, it's not it's right then that say, knowledge over time instead of just going in blind yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do this without the experience or the knowledge. I mean, it's just. I, when I, I look back when you're saying this, uh, to my three pieces of advice, if I were going to give when we started, or after having gone through the business startup, go into it as shoestring as possible, is one of them, you know. 
two, don't quit your day job because why, why would you do that? You know, well, I'm going to start my own business. You, you mean you're going to just go cold turkey? You know, and then uh, make sure you know about what you plan to sell. I mean, make sure you even know what you're talking or doing, you know, because, uh, uh, sorry, but yeah. And oftentimes attitude is just as important as ability. In, in, your, in your thoughts of yourself? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so beware of envy, Matthew twenty fifteen from that passage. Don't I have the right to do what want with what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? Um, D. A third stream of wealth is to buy, sell, and rent real estate. All right, this is a company. You'd say, in a sense, it's a company, unless it's your own home. Then you're buying real estate. Uh, for your own purposes, but it's not creating wealth necessarily, except for as inflation would say, you're in cre- creating wealth o- over time or, or or the market. You're putting collateral into a business if you want to get your house paid. Oh, okay. As far as say, uh, yeah. You use it as a business collateral buy support, also, it's still going to be wealth. Yeah, right, right. <clears throat> yeah, no, it definitely represents a, a storage of wealth in that case. Um, all right, so uh, good. No, thank you. Uh, buying property to own it is uh, it as part of your accumulated wealth uh, is 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 one one way to look at real estate. You, you buy a house, it's got value. Maybe you don't buy it outright. Maybe you make your house payments, but you're you're putting your money basically into this is mine when I'm done, and when I'm done, paying it off. And even before I'm done, it has real value. Uh, a, a house, a home has real value. Land has real value. Um, uh, cabin on the lake has real value. Sometimes more value in our minds than it should have ever been you know, <laughs> decided upon. But uh, no, it, it has real value. And, um, and so... Uh, it's something to consider. Buying property to sell it, people do that. Um, and uh, the, the term flipping comes up. So they buy a, buy a house, hopefully lower, and right away sell it with very very few improvements because the market changed and they make, make money on it without hardly shuffling papers. Or else they make a modicum of changes to the, to the property and, and resell it. You know, they maybe car- recarpet, uh, fix some broken things, reside it, paint it, new roof, whatever it needs, and then they sell it, hoping to make make a profit. That's one way a person can run a little business or a big business, I would imagine. Time but, is the essence. Time is the essence, but also I, I think you, when it comes to properties, you really have to have knowledge or someone to talk to. Has knowledge because I know some of my brothers and sisters were looking at houses. They had me come and look at them to see if they, because you know, great deal. But I'd walk in there and I'd say, Well, you know, the, the structures here, the foundation's failing. You got this, this, and even in my head, I could write off, say, This is why it's this much because it's already up to $20,000 and we haven't touched the cosmetics. This is just structural. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's so low. Because some people, they don't have a clue 
<coughs> what it takes to fix some of that well, stuff. Fixing, to do that, that foundation, I'll let you talk to Alice and you bought it for 125 yeah. and sell for uh, 40 and you're going to make that 15000 and yeah. you know, all of a sudden you're not going to make 20000 on the base yeah. you just lost five. Yeah, and I tell them, you know, hire a plumber. This needs replacing, that needs replacing. Yeah, Bob is, I'll, I can attest to this, Bob is a dream killer when it comes to buying a real good deal <laughs> of a house. All right, Dad, tear apart. No, there was that big place at the <clears throat> Westendorf, uh, not Westendorf's, um, what was the name? Webster's used to live in, the big one across from the post office. Yeah. Huge place. I think they were just renting, but whatever. Huge place. And it's like, wow, if you ever fix that thing up, what a beautiful place it would be. I don't know. There are like six stories to that thing when you yeah. stopped walking. But uh, so we went and looked at it. We know it was for sale. And, we, you know, you knew it needed some work, you know. And so we took took uh, Bob through, right? And, yeah. and he looked at it, you know, with us. And Kristen and Zach, we thought, you know, could maybe live there. Kristen, oh, this her hope. Her heart was ready to go with this one. What a wonderful place. And Bob walks through it and he goes, run as fast as you can. <laughs> Two cents. Honest opinion, yeah. and it's based because I have the knowledge what some costs, and you know they just they cost that much to fix that. Yeah. No. Amen. So uh, that is one way, though, that people uh, yeah. people can and you make can money. Great deals. That it's just cosmetic. Where you can say, yeah, you can, you know, paint and rugs and you know do touch-ups, and it's good to go. So are you? Uh, uh, Willing to hire out the people who think they got a good deal coming that uh, well, you know, take a look at. For nothing, right? <laughs> <laughs> there should be a consultant. Fee. Yeah, yeah. you got to be thinking now, Bob. You're yeah. kind of retired, so. <laughs> Okay, so they're going to buy uh, a place, and um, they're getting married like in May, I think yeah. it is. Um, and that means you lose a good renter, though. So Paul's been renting to Aaron. I've got to help, help my daughter and kick myself. Yeah, yeah. So that, that does bring us, Paul, because you have more than one uh, rental uh, to your little section here that I want you to, to talk about. Um, what motivated you to start with your first? Uh, yeah, yeah. What motivated me to start? Uh, I lost my driver's license. What part does it play in your only one more detail? Yeah. <laughs> so when I was, uh, I must have been seventeen or seventeen and a half, and I lost my driver's license. So I was living where my mom and dad do here in Elko. And I was working at Lover's Food Store, you know it as the tractor store today. 
And because you were living with your mom and dad. I was living with my mom and dad. Okay. I was Seventeen. Okay. And so I couldn't figure out at the time why mom and dad wouldn't leave their prominent jobs that support the household to come get me to bring me to work so I could <laughs> make my money. So I wasn't going to ride my bike down 49 on a busy highway at 9 o'clock at night, so I kind of figured I'd have to give up my job. But there's a gentleman there that was working, and uh, he was a bachelor of all his life. He was retired from the shoe factory, and he worked at Bowers as well. And he says, you know, Paul, I rent rooms. I have a three-bedroom house, and I rent rooms. Why don't you come rent for me? So I said, okay. Uh, just a room? Just a room. Hmm. He did that quite a bit. So I said, okay, that makes more sense. I can ride my bike from Taylor Street to Lovers. So that's what I did. And I uh, moved with him for quite a while. He actually picked me up and stuff like that. And he detailed cars on the side. So I helped him with that. I helped him wash windows and do a lot of stuff around the side. So a lot of the rent that I had to pay I didn't have to pay because I was earning it as I went. Uh, he was getting all his stuff done, so then we pretty soon we started doing the neighbor stuff. So he was like the hero of the neighborhood and whatnot. So then Lowers was um, losing a manager. And they had a guy that they just hired. I was working there for like three years. And they hired this guy, and then they promoted him over me, which didn't set well. Now, my friend from high school was working at Pearson's, which is now the quick trip at Fox Lake. And he was making more money than I was. And he had just started not that long ago, et cetera. And he's my high school friend, like I said. So he came over. And uh, he says, you know, you should come over by me. I'm going to college, and they're going to be looking for people. So that's what I did. So I went and left Henry and, and uh, moved back home, actually. Then my friend, we'll call him Brad, he came, he quit college and went back to the store. And him and I rented in Fox Lake. And then he got transferred to Portage and he moved in with a buddy of ours. And then I got transferred, so I moved back in with Brad. And then he had a girlfriend. Uh, is Pierce's, Pierce's, is that a, a food place? Store. Okay, yep, all right. So, and they had stores all over. Yeah. Baraboon. Uh, Portage, Muscaday, etc. So then we got transferred to Barrow. So then one night, years later, I got a phone call that this gentleman that I was living with um, passed away. And that was his nephew. His nephew said, He wants you to be a pallbearer. Can you do that? I said, Well, yeah, of course I can. He said, well, I'll give you more details when you get, get here. So I drove him there, whatever. It's Paul. And he came up to me and he says, um, he's got you in his will, which shocked me. I didn't know that. You have a lower percentage, but you got something. So I took that money and I, I put it in the savings. I was driving around a 12 year old vehicle. We detailed cars. So it, he wouldn't have had a problem if I took that money and buy a vehicle. But I didn't want to buy something that I couldn't keep. I'm not going to keep a car. 
that were named Seawards. And then Norman called me one night, and he says, I'm going to, I did some work with Norman. Normal awesome. Normal awesome. I did some work at the other barn that my brother was running. And he says, the other barn's going to come up pretty soon, you work around. And I said, yeah, that sounds good to me. Uh, I had a, we were working here right after the summer started. So we lost a lot of our help because when Noah's Ark and all that opened up, all of our help would go over there. We got two bucks an hour working over there. And all they had to do was slide tubes underneath their own keys. So yeah. Why wouldn't yeah. No. <laughs> so that made more work for yeah. me. Uh, inner tubes that you go down the rides in. <laughs> I had to figure that out for a minute. Yeah, I was like, tubes? What? Yeah. So then I came back with Norm. Norm had an apartment. And I believe Norm bought his apartment because Jerry had apartments. His brother before at the time. And so I helped Norm with that. And then, like I said, Norm and I were in business together, so our finances came up quite a bit. And then I told him, I said, I got You know, you should buy an apartment house. And then we went to, he says, we're going to the account next week for our end of the year taxes. He says, talk to him about it. So I went to him. Well, this is my buddy that I lived with on and off, his dad. And him and his dad bought an apartment in Mohan. But he wasn't going to move back because he had a job with his fiance's dad. So the, the CPA says, I'm taking care of this whole thing, and I don't have time to do it. And he says, this is, he gave me the whole spiel on, on how apartments work, et cetera. And he says, I'll give you a deal, because I went on family vacation, et cetera. So he showed me the apartment, and I took that money as the down payment. Where was that building? The apartment? Yeah. It's on East Franklin Street. I still have it today. Oh, oh, it's that that the house that Jesse was living in for a while? Yes. Or? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was back in 91. Nice. Now, I did set a goal, Georgie. It was to buy one every five years. And as of last year, I still only had one. <laughs> 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 Don't give up. <laughs> as of last year. As of last year. Now I got so let's let's uh, let's give us three quick pieces of advice. If you had to go back, well, three big lessons did you learn quickly? So I, I think the I'll try to spend the positive thing about an apartment house is that it's other people's money. It's other people's money. If I was to put my money in silver or gold, not very many people go up to you and say, "This gold's really heavy in my pocket. Would you take this?" Or you got the 401k, which sometimes the company will put like 6% back in. The apartment house is all somebody else's money, if it's cash. So that's a positive part. Another piece of advice is don't expect your renters to be like you. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> so they uh, do not take care of things like you do. They're not as clean as what you think they should be. And everybody's a little bit different. Another thing is, uh, it's not for everybody. I know a lot of people that 
have apartments. I probably know twice as many that have tried it and will never do it again. No, no, that's that's good, and we can we can uh, hit you up whenever. I mean, just so we all know, and we'll deal more. Paul, you'll probably play a bigger role when we get into the rental thing uh, down the road. So, <clears throat> highly recommend you read Automatic Wealth, pages one fifty one to one sixty six. He basically says if you're if you're going to buy a place for rental and you don't meet bump 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 and can't afford to have it do this this this, don't even do it. Yeah, yeah, and it was all in, in attempts to cover yeah, cash flow and put away for un, un, unseen things. His number is 10% in that book, isn't it? To me, I figured that isn't my cash. Yeah, I don't I know. I remember. I lost rents, and I figured um, lost paid bills that I'm responsible as a landlord in Alpine that, that happens. So I put that right into my cash flow equation, 15%. Okay. Lost rents, 15%. Paul, because I don't know your personal story and situation, one of the questions that was here was what part does it play in your finances? So as you took on this project in your in your rentals throughout the year, was this your main source of income? Remember my main source of income? It was so I was doing deal reform when I bought that one. And then it cash flowed, so it pretty much took care of itself. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I did improvements that I could raise the rent as well, but also to keep less headaches. Yeah. Because some people don't spend a dime on your place, they can't figure out why they're over there every day. Well, because things break down, you don't keep up. Not very much. You gotta keep up. So um, that that it was a side thing for me then at that point in time. Um, over the years, it's it's actually come to pay for some of my real debt. I had to borrow against it because of, of um, markets and disease that came through my barn. I lost a lot of money. The apartment house covered that. Mm-hmm. That money covered those payments. So I was still able to feed my kids. Yeah. So you, like because that. it was paid off and you could now use that money for other things? Uh, I was the, the over and above. Over and above. Uh, yeah, it, it, and yeah, it was paid off at that point. Okay. But then it was not very long after that that that. Did. So, you know, God has everything happening for a reason, and, and yeah. that was part of that reason. Um, had that not happened, and if God grants me a lot of years on this earth, it will become a regular income for me in my retirement. Yeah. Yeah. So now with the other one, cash flowing, and that one, and then someday when I get that, that paid off, that will be money that's, that, that mortgage that I'm paying now, plus a little bit of cash flow that I have, is going to be like my Social Security. Only I'm going to count on this a lot more than I'm going to count yeah, on Social yeah, Security. Yeah, right. yeah. So it'll be a monthly income that's going to give me my grocery money and my utilities, etc. Are you going to talk about, when we get to the rental section, are you going to talk about your rentals? And I know. Yeah, I would have chimed in more too here, but I, I, we got very limited time. In fact, we're officially at 11. Um, and But we will. Okay. Yeah, when it gets to that week, which isn't the next one, but three months after. But I think you feel free to hit Paul up with questions as, if, as they come to your head, or us, mm-hmm. um, as just resource questions, or we point you to a book. I would point you to a book. I, I'm stupid at this stuff. I'm just a fisherman who caught some fish that's trying to help other people catch fish, you know? Um, so that's... If you gotta go, you can go, but we're gonna. I can finish this up in twenty minutes because a lot of the rest of this, I'm not. 
I'm going to say I'm not as knowledgeable, and I don't, I don't want to pretend to be. All right? So just feel free to uh, up and scram if you got to. But let's just take a quick back into this. Uh, a fourth stream of wealth is to invest your wealth in other companies. That's really what we do with 401ks and Roths and all that kind of retirement stuff. You're, you're really investing in, in kind of other companies and, and so on and their, their um, profitability. Um, futures, I don't even know how you, some of these terms that they talk about. On, uh, I, I don't pretend to. I, my advice is find someone who knows about those things and get them to try to speak in English to you. Because Edward Jones, as we go to Edward Jones, I don't understand half the things he says still. And we've been doing that for years. But. I don't pretend to understand it all either, but I, I do know that um, I, I do have some reservations when it comes to this kind of thing. Right, so right. So it wouldn't pay for me to take money from here and put it over here and make less money than I could take it and take my debt down. And that includes, did that include your, your company also, though, adding? It would have. It would have, okay. Yeah. So I didn't do it much. And I worked with a guy who's my partner, my partner. Every day he would go home for lunch. He lived just down the block. Every day he'd go home for lunch and he would check his stocks. And he'd come back, oh, I made 20000 a day. My stocks were up to... $200,000, you know, I, I, I can retire a little bit earlier now, and all this stuff, and I kept telling him, I said, well, it's going to be, he was aggravating me too, so Think well, that's that, why I got to be careful that. Right. Amen. And that's why I talk about streams, not stream. Right? I, I think streams of income are, are, are a way to think about a lot of this stuff. Um, a business, uh, whether it's big or large, whatever. Um, income from maybe your employer, uh, maybe rental properties. That's why we're talking about these things. And there's multiple, these multiple streams. It's like the old thing, don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know. Because something can hit hit the fan, you know, and uh, well, the stock market dies. My properties are still going to have that. Right, Which right. Which is why I, I would rather put my money into that. I, I do have something. Which brings me to the next point on here: Is there a difference between storing and growing wealth? Okay, and and I think there is. I think we need to think about some of these things in a different fashion. Take a gold coin. Here's an example. Um, wait, does it carry wealth or does it merely represent wealth? I think we have dollars right now 
that don't carry well, but they represent it still. And so in a sense, they're still got value, right? But that's changing every day, you know, one way or the other. But some things actually carry wealth, like that house, if it's paid off or, or, or whatever, a shotgun has wealth today, tomorrow, and the next day, you know. So take a gold coin along with the amount of dollars it equals, bury them in, the sh- in a shoebox for 20 years, then which one would you want, okay? After 20 years, my guess is you're going to want that gold coin much, much more than you'd want the, the dollars that it represented 20 years ago, okay? The trouble with the dollars, it's only $20 if you and I believe Yeah, and agree today, but, yeah. Uh, which would you want? This tells you what inflation can do. In 1910, a new car cost $825, okay, to 39.91 ounces of gold. In 2020, a car is $33,560, which is much more than the $825, versus coin, uh, the gold coin, the ounces are actually less today that you'd have to use to buy the new car than they were back in 1910. So that kind of gives you an idea of the effects of inflation and the idea that uh, money is uh, the money as in gold uh, gold backs or whatever not gold backs I can't call them that uh, money as in uh, dollar bills etc are, uh, are are pretty transitory I mean it especially when they're printing an awful lot of them with nothing to back them anymore it used to be backed by real precious metals it's not backed by that at all anymore so going to the next page storing wealth uh, these preserve wealth in something tangible in things. Okay, so if you've got things, you can actually store wealth. There's, there's value in clothing. There's value in food. There's value in fuel, right? <coughs> Today you filled your gas with a tank, a car with gas. There's value in that. Um, it, it, tomorrow it, that fuel in that gas tank is still going to take you to the same places that it took you to um, yesterday, right? Personal property, art jewelry there's different things that can actually store wealth sometimes that's a little bit based upon do people want it anymore i mean is there still as great a value in comic books as there once was for a period of time is there still a great a is great a value in basketball cards maybe still some people still pay high price for that what about beer can collections and not really a lot of value there anymore right when I was a kid, boy, that was a valuable thing to have, a beer can collection and the different types. That one didn't hold its own. Okay. So some things uh, store well. Precious metals, they seem to be the most universal medium for storing wealth. Okay, To have precious metals, it seems like it's been going on for thousands of years now. That It's, it's just people value it and they recognize its, it's legitimacy. All right. That's all I really need to say there. Um, really quickly, what, what do you think? Give me two things, if you got them, uh, that would store wealth in your mind that hasn't been mentioned already. Your home. Yeah, a house. I think that's a storage of wealth. Well, if you let it go to pot, right, then it's not going to be as valuable maybe, but like the house that... Webster's used to live in. <laughs> What's really valuable for a moment, you know, in time. And the land that it's on, right. That's where Ray Kroc made all his money, right? Bought the land that they put the McDonald's franchises on. 
that's that's where the money was, the land that he they built. But the land, even now, get a good deal on it. But right now, it's not good time. Prices so high, but you know, if you watch the market, because you know, it just keeps going up and up and up. Okay, so we got houses or buildings, uh, land, anything else that you think? Yeah, we'll probably business, business Business itself. If yeah. You're, if you're going to sell your business. Yep. 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 Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know who I said it to, but I mean, the last couple of years, people were looking to buy our business because they were in that um, that mode where they were. Um, what's the word for it when you buy businesses? Add them to your portfolio. What? Portfolio. No. Acquired. No acquiring acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Trace. Uh, they were into acquisitions mode, and that's how they were going to become bigger. Um, no interest. We're all in debt involved in it as a family. Again, no interest in that. Although it's kind of interesting to hear that there are some people out there that are looking at you. It's surprising that right now old cars are... Old cars. A lot of people are investing in older cars because it is still somewhat... I mean, they have to be a classic or a mm-hmm. high-value car or something. Guys are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to have these things from the barn find to Primo, and they're looking at it as an investment. It's art. That's, yeah. Hmm. Anything else? Keep going. Um, threats to your wealth. Matthew six nineteen through 20. I'll read that quickly. Sorry. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay. Thieves break in and steal. Legal theft as well as the kind of guys who wear masks, okay? Legal theft occurs when the government steals from you. The (coughs) government does steal from people. Lawsuits. Uh, Lawsuits is another way, right? Uh, Which is, you know, we're back to that incorporation thing. You know, I don't know. It seems like there is such a litigious society where people will sue you over many things that it's nice to think you could have legal protection. Uh, Taxation is uh, and inflation are two ways that you can be stolen from, okay? You can be taxed more than you should be paying from your wealth, but they can also make your accumulated value of something less valuable by creating money out of nothing on the printing press. And so that's two ways. I I once had a conversation with a a dear friend of mine who was a pastor. I said, is there ever a time where you feel like the government has taxed too much now and that you should no longer pay it, that they are now stealing from you? I don't know. I can't really say I would say that. I'm saying, so if they're taking 40% of, of your congregants' wealth, you know, 50%, I mean, what does it got to be? At what point are you going to call it stealing? 
Well, because it was the government, he never wanted to call it stealing. Amazing. So, uh, moth and rust can corrupt, okay? That house that we did not buy because Bob recommended against it, uh, that was a corrupted house in time, and it needed a lot, a lot of work. If you, uh, Proverbs says, what, the person who doesn't take care of, of the roof of his house or whatever is uh, a foolish man who... Uh, so, yeah, there are those regular effects of the world that are going to eat away at, at wealth. That's going to uh, cause you to put more money into something to maintain it, which is part of, part of the fall. Acts of God, okay. Tornado comes rushing through Alto. There is some wealth that was lost in that whole deal, right? And, and it was at God's, God's will, for good or bad, and both, I'm sure, right? Punishment of God is another one that, uh, that we have to consider. I mean, God will take wealth from us. He, he will punish us for, for wrongdoing as, as individuals, I believe, or as, as, as a nation or groups of nations. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 3, says this. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? The idea is, you ain't going to hide it from me. You ain't going to hide it. You know? So, um, I'll, I'll guarantee you this. The last thing we want when we're trying to build up households is God's punishment. If you want your best insurance plan is to is to love the Lord your God and uh, seek Him with, with all your heart. Second, it doesn't mean we come through things unscathed, but that's okay. As long as we're right with Him, there's nothing else that ultimately matters. Right? Uh, Isaiah ten fourteen says this, My hand has found, has found like a nest the wealth of the people's and as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. This is the king of Assyria uh, talking. Um, boastfully. But it was true. Not, not one could chirp. I took what I wanted to take. So... Um, One thing I didn't mention as, as a threat to your wealth is your own spending. Your own spending of it. Okay? We uh, uh, indulge ourselves too frequently at the expense of our own accumulation of wealth for our children's future, for our future. Um, whether it's I got to have a newer car or I've got to. Uh, conversation, Matt, and I have got to have it. I want to have a truck. Well, what does a truck cost these days? If you go out and buy a new truck, I almost fell over. That's ridiculous. Who would spend $80,000 on something to drive it? I do not. You better live in it, too. Yeah. That's yeah. What Jason and I see all the time, too. We wanted a, a Yukon. And I'm like, uh, are we going to live in that thing? Because yeah, it right. costs us like just ten or so thousand dollars less than our home. Like, yes. that's crazy. That's nuts. Wow. That's nuts. Now, I, understandably, there are some businesses that are run that you have to have a certain kind of vehicle yes. to, to really make sense of things. Okay. 
you got to make that business decision one way or the other. But no, I, I tell you, as far as our own homes, having to have certain clothes or having to go on certain vacations or having to whatever, because we really deserve it. We really need a break. Yeah, there's a place where these things can all be done properly. And I'm not the person who will judge what you buy for your car or your, your vacation or your home. Just realize that that is the biggest attacker of your wealth is your own appetite. I love that he says in the automatic wealth book, he started asking himself, he started doing that exercise where monthly he that's, would look, he would look at, um, you know, he wouldn't do a budget, but he would look at his assets and its debts and pretty soon his spending started to correct itself. And one of the things that he would ask himself every time he would buy something is, does this make me richer or poor? Oh, okay. And that it's so... That's not even what I'm thinking of. Oh, sorry. No, that's, that's good, though. I, what I was thinking when, when I went, ah, yeah. Michael Masterson says, you know, there are some things you can do that you don't have to spend a ton of money, but you're living like a millionaire or a billionaire. Because there's, there's, you can buy the best bed there's, that's out there. Yeah. Most of the time you do, you, you find yourself sleeping, right? It's like eight hours a day or whatever. You're sleeping, just like the rich. And if you've got $2,000 you can put toward a bed, the rich aren't going to buy any better bed than you. You can sleep like a millionaire <laughs> every night. He goes, there are a few items like that. I don't remember what else he listed, but I thought, Tracy, and I said this years ago, we're going to spend money on our bed when we buy a bed. <clears throat> yeah, he talks about like the cap out point for a nice pair of slacks. And, you know, after that, you're just paying for prestige. And as you do the exercise where you list some of the things you love the most and rate like how much joy that brings you and you find that some of the things that cost very little are the things that bring you the most joy and um, how you can prioritize that and really feel wealthy now without spending a ton of money because you're you're finding joy in the same things and if your kids are finding joy chopping wood push them off (laughs) all right i'll keep on ripping through the rest of this here um how do you protect accumulated wealth um they labor in vain Unless the Lord guards the city, okay, you have a bag of holes. And I, I remember even as a young man, you know, that I, I questioned everything. I became a Christian. It's like I feel like I was lied. I wasn't lied to. I was lied to, and I lied to myself all my life. I was only like 20, 21 at the time, 20, 19 or 20. And I thought, how could I miss it all? So I started reading the Bible, and I'm thinking, what else is here that I should ignore in the world around me that I've been taught or I've just kind of accepted. And I started doing that whole thing. And I said, insurance. I don't even know if that's if that's if that's a good thing. Maybe it's sinful to have insurance. You know, because if it's sinful, I don't care what people tell me. I'm not gonna do it. You know? And the verse that actually convinced me that insurance was not sinful, okay, was if the Lord guards the city if the Lord does not guard the city, they who labor in vain who guard it, right? So what I'm saying is, and thinking in my head, okay, so the Lord has to guard the city, but there's also guards, all right? So it's like they shouldn't, the point of it is they should guard, do their guarding, but realize it's hopeless if God's not guarding it with them, right? So I think I can buy insurance realizing that I'm still t- depending on God ultimately, but insurance, is, that was my rationale. Just, you can over what? You can over-insure. Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, you're right on. Because you can insure, what, your house? You can insure your, your well, you have to insure some things. Thanks, government, right? You buy health insurance for your dog nowadays. 
Oh, really? That goes to show you how much people love these animals, right? That's a wrong. Uh, so live upright before him. I think that's your best insurance, your best safety against any of these things. Uh, insurable, uninsurable. Um, I wrestle with that concept. As I said, don't be foolish to suffer your heirs to be fools. There's your, your probably your biggest expenditure or this, the sucking away of your wealth is your children and grandchildren are fools. And you, you never train them up. You know, they were never prepared. They don't love God. They were never taught in finances or, or, or savings or, or whatever, investments in business. And so um, it's your own doing in a sense. Oh, I should have a uh of his own house will inherit the fool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your own doing in one sense that's going to cripple all that you were trying to build wealth-wise. Not that that should have been all that you've been about. Your household is what you were trying to build. Um, finally... Uh, there are legally protected ways that you can try to protect, you know, store your money. You know, your will, first of all, to transfer it to, to the next generation. Uh, a trust is another way you can set up these vehicles that um, kind of guard it, guard it for you. But there's limits and rules to it. But your children can be um, trustees with you. So now it's all of your household's money and you're making decisions as a unit. Your insurance is kind of that way too. If you're, if you're protecting your wealth, if I'm protecting my barn and it makes me angry, but the insurance, I'm also protecting my investment for my children. Yes, yes. Yeah, good. Good point. Um, and more on that, that's the final actual meeting. We'll talk about um, this, but um, that's probably not the way to do it. You know, stick in the money, especially if it's green dollar bills like this, in your mattress because you're just going to lose money that way. You're not going to create it or store it. Plus, my wife makes me bets. Yeah, all right. For South, I always yeah. say if I did that, my house would probably burn down. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about things that hold value. Yeah. And I think one thing we didn't mention that's worth mentioning is wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, like situations like this where we get to partner with generations who have been in it and made really good choices and made bad choices and actually being humble enough to listen is something that's going to hold value for the rest of our lives. So there is something about knowledge and wisdom and gleaning that from people and learning from other people's mistakes and triumphs, um, especially biblical, particularly biblical people. Mainly, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Humility. It's like saying, I don't know some things, I want to learn some things, Mm -hmm. you know? And who who can I go to to learn these things? I'm not so proud that I can. Any other last thoughts or comments? See you, Jeremy. Thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Let's say a prayer then and we'll uh, call it a... Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to meet. I pray and ask that you use these things in little ways or big ways to just affect uh, the future of those um, seated here that they might uh, indeed uh, apply some of this or be able to or know who to go to when, when they are ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming.